Welcome to the Experts Speak, a service of the Florida Psychiatric Society. I'm Abby Strauss, and thanks for listening. Traditionally, this podcast is about mental health issues, but our mental health lives in our larger world, and we cannot pretend to ignore what is happening in that larger world in what has been called as our biosphere. The April 2010 deepwater oil spill in the Gulf of Mexico, which is probably better referred to as an ongoing leak, may have an environmental impact far greater than we now see. So we need to learn about what we know about what happens when incredible quantities of crude oil end up being where nature did not intend the crude oil to be. Dr. Leonard Berry is the director of the Florida Center for Environmental Studies at the Florida Atlantic University in Jupiter. Dr. Berry, we appreciate your time. It's a pleasure to be here. We tend to think the oceans are so large that they can dilute anything into safety. Now, that's not true. The science is clearly complex. So, Dr. Barry, please take us on a tour. What are we looking at? We don't want to overreact or panic. But but what are your worries as the oil leaks into the ocean? Well, let, let me back up a little. Sure. Talk about that, the, the oceans being pure. I think we thought about that for, we thought that was so for a long time, and Two or three things have happened apart from the oil spill and before the oil spill to wake us up. The first is the the increasing acidity of the ocean, which we now attribute to man-made emissions. And we thought that, well, it, we might affect the atmosphere, but in fact, we're also affecting the ocean in significant ways. And that's global, worldwide, 72% of the Earth, which is the ocean. The other thing that we've come to appreciate is that there are now massive areas in the ocean where we have acres of plastic a thousand miles from land and where we have reduced the biodiversity of the ocean by a a factor as much as we were reducing the biodiversity of the of the rainforest. So the ocean is actually very different today than a hundred years ago. Yes it is and more vulnerable Hmm. and that's the background I think in which we want to look at these these episodes like the oil spill, okay. which I, I think is traumatic to part of the ocean. It could be almost have global significance as time goes on. So as you sit and talk to us, is there a set of fears, concerns, worries that are more pressing than others? Is something that we need to know about or think about? Like, for example, when one hears that this is going to affect the food chain or this is going to, you know, when the toxic materials start to dilute out into the water, where do we begin on this? This is too big for most people to understand. Yeah, and both the advantage and disadvantage of this particular spill is at the moment it's confined to what is almost an inland sea, which is the Gulf of Mexico. But that, for the U.S. and for for Mexico and the the Caribbean islands, it is a critical food source. And the ocean is like any parts of the food system. There's a food chain that starts with small critters and goes up through the fish and the oysters and the uh, birds and so on. And what we don't know, and, and really we have very little experience on, is the impact of this kind of oil spill on the critical lower parts of the food chain. Because what happens to the food source for all the rest of the food chain, of course, is going to be critical to both the strength of the recovery and the degree of recovery from this. And the problem is that I think it's getting clearer in the news reports these days is that this isn't a gusher of oil that comes up to the surface and is driven away on the currents and the winds. 
This is a gush of oil that is being entrained in the middle of the ocean as well as on the surface. And we, at the moment, have no reliable information about where those lenses of oil are from 5,000 feet down to the surface. We know there are several, and we don't know their impacts, and we don't really know very in any detail the direction of their movement. So we've got two different issues that are important. One is the background issue is where is the oil in the column of the water? And secondly, what impact is it having on all of the the food chain critters that are in that column of water. I guess most of the time people assume an oil spill is at the surface, and that's exactly what you're talking about. Is now it goes down deeper, and it disperses or it doesn't disperse, and it gets into the plankton and the, the micro... The... Organism. Yes. And then that's eaten by the larger animals and the larger animals and so on up the food chain. So this is an entirely new, I hate to use the word experiment because it's really not an experiment, but scientifically this is an incredible opportunity to study something that apparently has not really been studied before. Yeah, I, I think that's absolutely right. And I, one of the things that the both the professional oil people and the university people are doing are beginning to formulate ideas about how we can both help clean up the mess, but also learn from it in a way that will be very important later on. What I found very interesting, and I'm just for the moment, I don't know where I put it, but there has been such a association of academic centers in the state of Florida, an oil spill association, and so many people are, it's called the Oil Spill Academic Task Force, that's what it's called. And it's really right. fantastic. I, I, I was quite impressed, and the fact that it came alive so quickly shows that how many people are concerned about what's going on. Yeah, and, and the Chancellor, Chancellor Brogan, who used to be president of FAU, was very central in getting that organized very quickly. And there's a tendency to want to go all over the world and collect the best experts and bring them to whatever problem there is. But he realized, as it's fairly common sense, that local knowledge is really very important as well as scientific expertise. And there, the university system has a good record of work in, in marine, marine monitoring and marine matters. And we should say it's not just the state system. The University of Miami, Florida Tech, and other and NOVA Southeastern University are all part of this task force. So it, it is a state based in the state universities, but it involves the other critical private institutions. If anybody is interested, the website for it is www.oilspill, O-I-L-S-P-I-L-L dot F-S-U dot E-D-U. So it's oilspill.fsu.edu. There's a tremendous amount of information there. And there are links with each of the universities and the critical folks in each of the universities there, uh, a number of different websites that are, that are important. One of the things that has been in the news a great deal is the fact that the petroleum companies, British Petroleum and the EPA, are arguing about the use of dispersants. And these are, like, I guess, materials that break up the oil into tiny little molecules and then they float in, in the water. Do you know much about this? Is this something new to science? Is this something that we should feel some confidence with in terms of cleaning up the mess? Do I know much yes. about it? Not a lot. It's not new to science. The, the dispersants, they're basically chemicals that allow the oil molecules to break down into smaller units. Unfortunately, they're chemicals. Mm -hmm. 
And the what we don't know is the side effects of these chemicals is like taking medication. Uh, but there's no be no FDA approval of the use of these in these kind of circumstances, which is a, a lot of these persons are being injected down at four or five thousand feet. And now just recently I think the EPA has begun to be very nervous about the impact of those dispersants and whether the cure is going to be worse than the original event. And so there is an edict out to reduce and change the the intensity of the dispersants. Uh, and that's because not we know they're doing damage, we think they will, but we it's the unknown. And it gets to the very basic, the first animal in the food chain, if it breaks us up into tiny, tiny little particles, it will be absorbed in their bodies or per- perhaps even eaten as... It's the, the whole DDT problem all over again. That's very scary. Now, do we know much about the impact of oil, uh, crude oil like this, on not just living creatures but plants, seaweed, coral, and things like that? Do we have much information about that? Yeah, unfortunately, we've had so many oil spills and there's been some fairly good follow-up research that we know quite a bit. The impact of oil on mangroves, for example, can be devastating. And particularly if those tarballs come ashore into a mangrove swamp, they tend to clog up the roots of the mangroves and cut off their air supply and their nutrition supply. And they do great, almost long-term devastating and sometimes long-term damage to the mangrove system. Ironically, those same tarballs don't do as much damage to corals because they tend not to block up all the coral polyps. On the other hand, dispersed oil does damage corals because then if you, if you remember how the coral is made up all of tiny little mouths and each one of those dispersant nodules or small oil nodules can fit into the coral there and basically destroy it. So different kinds of plant systems respond in different ways to oil, but none of them find it beneficial <laughs> in any way. These seagrasses tend to be less damaged than some other ecosystems. And we're not quite sure that why that is, but there have been experiments that some people even at FAU have done that shows that oil inundation to a modest degree does not kill off seagrasses, but it kills mangroves. So we'd find a different kinds of effects on different kinds of vegetation. Okay. Now we're going to go into hurricane season very soon. And that's going to blow a lot of this, unless we're lucky and don't have a hurricane, that's going to blow a lot of this around. I imagine that might even take the oil to places that it wouldn't otherwise naturally go. So this is going to be an endless requirement to observe this day in and day out. What about larger animals, uh, turtles, dolphins, and whales, and sharks? Do they... Uh, because just of their sheer size, are they a little bit more immune to the oil, or, or do we not know about that either? Because I realize we, we really haven't a great deal of data as to an oil spill of this magnitude. No, we know birds are badly affected by oil, of course, because it gets into their feather system, changes their ability to fly and swim, and so on. I don't think we know as much, at least I don't know as much, and there isn't generally as much known, I think, about the larger mammals. I... Turtles and the larger mammals is not something I I know. I know somebody that would know. Well, what's interesting, sir, because in the job that you have, which is very important, a lot of information comes across your desk, and you are like so many of us. This isn't general knowledge. We really don't know what we're going to be facing in a few months. Yeah, I've learned more.
more in the last month about some of these issues than I thought I'd ever want to know. I think that's true for all of us. Yeah. Let's get back to the food chain for a little bit. Do you know how long it will take for the food chain to be clear? Do we have any idea about that? You know, Is it something that will last for years or months? Do we have any sense? It's, it's definitely not months. It's years. Because, first of all, you do not get this oil out of the water, the water column, very quickly. I think that it will go on dispersing through the Gulf of Mexico, through the hurricane season, which may well move it in directions that are totally new and affect different areas. And so the the impact on the, the food chain, it might not be decades, but it's certainly years. One of the things that people on the east side of Florida have expressed it's a little bit too much comfort. They have the sense that if it goes around the bottom of Florida and gets up to us, that somehow it's going to lose a little bit of, of its toxicity. Is there any sense that that's a, a true concern, or is that just a, a nice hope? It's a nice hope. Looks, from what we know about the currents and the way that this particular oil is moving, that the surface oil, if it comes around on the loop, what they call the loop current, and comes around the keys, will be fairly dispersed when it gets here. Ironically, it's more likely to have an impact on Palm Beach counties than either north or south. And that's because the Gulf Stream is closest to the shore here, and the, the shore is protruding a bit further out to the east, so that even if the Keys are not impacted to a large degree, that doesn't mean, say, Palm Beach County won't be. Uh, the other issue that we're, we don't know about, and that is what will happen to the submerged oil in the column, and whether or not any of that gets trained into a current that will bring it round here. We don't know. So we can be grateful that things haven't impacted us yet, but we should be very alert to and monitor very carefully what's happening because our turn may come. One of the other issues, and again, much of this is speculation, but it gives us food for thought, is that if we do get a hurricane, some of the oil particles may actually be blown inland. Yep. That certainly blown inland and also carried significant uh, degree inland on storm surge and so on. That that could be messy, but also harmful to natural systems well back from the uh, from the shore. And with a very strong wind, you can get oily water just picked up and and carried in the air, of course. So the Everglades, even the Everglades, could theoretically be at risk. Oh, that's too strong a word, but it could be impacted. In, okay, I'll go with your word, absolutely. Yeah. You know, and it's clearly not, I want to keep things in, in balance. Yeah. One of the things that also appeared in the newspapers the other day, and it's something that we need to just state as a matter of scientific accuracy, is that the federal government reported that 19 dead dolphins were found in the spill area, but they could not say, and this is a key point, they could not say if they died from oiling. And so we have to be quick not to make associations before we have hard data. I'm I'm, I'm fearful of people starting to do that. Yeah, there's a tendency to do that. And part of the problem is that there is always oil around. And some of it was around long before the spill. And But as we get some of the scientific results back, we can track the particular oil that comes out of this spill so that we can begin to say, yes, it was or no, it was not uh, an impact of this particular event. The oil has a, 
as, as its own signature, if you like, that we can identify. So there's a tremendous amount of work to be done, a tremendous amount of scientific monitoring that needs to be done. We need to be careful, and someday it would be great to talk about all the other elements of how this accident occurred, and we, you know, that, that subject for another day, we have to deal with the fact that it is oil is going into the water as we sit. This is a huge and incredibly complex topic of such magnitude to our very environmental makeup, and we need to follow it carefully, and hopefully it won't be as bad as anticipated. Dr. Leonard Berry is the director of the Florida Center for Environmental Studies at the Florida Atlantic University. Dr. Berry, thank you so much for being with us.